0: Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the nine finger chronicles. Hopefully everybody's having a good day. Uh, I'm going to keep this intro short as I'm having some uh, audio issues uh, in uh, this episode. I'm recording this in a kitchen with shitty audio quality, but uh, I wanted to get this episode out to you anyway. Um, so the first thing I want to do is just say uh, thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to listen. Huge shout out to everyone out there. Hopefully uh, everybody's starting to get jacked for the upcoming season. I know that I am, and uh, we got a guy on this uh, episode today, Sean Poltz of Virginia. This dude builds battleships, right? He builds aircraft carriers and submarines. That's the company he works for. Um, so we talk a little bit about that at the beginning of the podcast. We talk about growing up hunting on the East Coast. We talk about kind of this evolution once he got out of college. Um, where he started becoming a little bit more serious, a little bit more hardcore about all of his uh, hunting moves. And uh, we, we uh, spend the second half of this episode talking about a, uh, a DIY public land hunt to Illinois where he did a lot of digital scouting. And then when he got to the property, it ended up not being what he thought it was. And so he played that mobile game, packed up, drove another hour, and started uh, um, running and gunning on a new piece of public that was more of of his liking. And uh, whole the whole story is on today's episode. Really cool story. We do some BS. We talk strategy. We talk uh, a whole bunch of uh, regular, g- cool, fun things that we always talk about. So I hope hopefully you guys enjoy. Uh, I'm not gonna do a full commercial segment because of the quality issues on this episode. But I just wanna say that um, the companies that I work for, uh, or work for, uh, work with, I should say, um, I work with for a reason. And a lot of them, a lot of the reasons are awesome, but one of the main reasons is because of the people behind the brand, right? So I've known the guys at Ozonix. I know I've known the guys at Exodus and Wasp and Vortex. For a very long time, um, several years. Um, I know the people behind Hunt Stand. I know the people behind Excalibur uh, and uh, Lone Wolf, and uh, just really good people uh, that I'm I'm proud to work with. Because in my opinion, the people make the product and the people make the brand. And if the people aren't there, then the brand is is never going to be 100%. And uh, I love these products because uh, of the people who work for the companies, hands down, straight up. And uh, when, when you have a good team behind a product and uh, a good group of people that will help in customer service scenarios, this is a, it's a win-win, not only for the end user, but for the, uh, uh, for the company as well. So if, you have so, if you have a moment of your time, go check out Ozonic Scent Elimination. Go check out Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Exodus Trail Cameras, Excalibur Crossbows, Wasp Broadheads, Vortex Optics, and Hunt Stand. Um, Please go out and support the companies because they support this podcast, blah, 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 blah. Uh, You get get the picture here. So uh, without further ado, let's cut this short and let's get into today's episode with Sean uh, the (laughs) Sean with Sean, the shipbuilder. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me now, Mr. Sean Polk. How we doing, man?
1: Good, how's it going, buddy?
0: Oh, dude, I'm starting to itch. I'm getting that itch, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, I can't wait. I'm just counting down the days right now.
0: Yeah, so last night, I I got into my bed at about 9.45, and I said, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to just screw around on Google Earth and on HuntStand, and I'm just going to go to all the areas that I'm looking to hunt this year and just kind of glide through it real quick. Then I'm going to go to bed 15 minutes max. The next time I looked at my phone, my clock on my phone, it was 11.15. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> just, yeah. Just... I don't know. I just get into it. I, I, I am ready. I'm like, I'm ready to start hunting and, and kill something. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, I'm the same way. I, I get on get on my phone at night, start looking and reading stuff or watching videos, different things, getting on, getting on maps online, and I go down a rabbit hole the same way. Lately, it's been reading and watching food plot stuff that's just been running wild and keeping me up late.
0: Yeah. So, uh, let's see here before we, we get into this BS session. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about where you live and what do you do for a living?
1: So I, I grew up in Connecticut. I now live in Chesapeake, Virginia, basically the Southeast most part of Virginia, almost in North Carolina. Um, and then for a living, I work at, uh, Newport news shipyard, um, We build uh, aircraft carriers and submarines for the Navy.
0: No shit. That's very interesting. I had a guy on a long time ago who was a bomb builder. Like, he built bombs, him and his crew built bombs that were dropped out of planes over in, like, Afghanistan in the Middle East or wherever the U.S. basically blows shit up. His bomb, (laughs) he he built bombs.
1: That's awesome. I wish I could say that I touched a bomb that blew up a terrorist
0: yeah but but what you're doing is you're building vessels that take giant armies over to places and blow shit up
1: <laughs> yeah it's 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 a pretty cool place to work um i mean we're the only only company in the country that makes nuclear aircraft carriers Man. so it's pretty cool
0: so like what do you do or i i i take it in the realm of uh, just like uh, building a combine for John Deere, there's electricians and there's welders and there's people who, you know, actually do the riveting and, uh, you know, all that other stuff. What what specifically do you do?
1: So I'm on the, um, I work on the uh, new construction for aircraft carriers. I'm in the scheduling, uh, planning side of that. So. Okay. We, I work alongside with the construction team and the trades, which would be like the general foreman for general foreman for the pipe fitters, welders, you know, all the trades guys. Yeah. So I work alongside with them, um, deal with them a lot as far as the scheduling and the planning of all the work goes.
0: Yeah, man, that's crazy. And I, I bet you like you look at it and it's not just, Hey, let's build a aircraft carrier because those things are gigantic. Right. So it's not, yeah. Right. So it's not like it's one of those things where an assembly line at Ford can put a car together in a day, you know, it's like an aircraft carrier probably isn't built in a day. Like how long does it take from the first, I don't know, whatever to the, the time it's off, off the yard into the water floating by itself?
1: Probably like eight years.
0: No shit. It takes that long
1: yeah wow yeah they're it they're massive um i mean it's i i've been on them before and you know when they're in the in the yard and they build them in a dry dock and then they move them down the down the river a little bit at a pier and they finish stuff up over there but last year what i was doing last year i got a chance to actually go out on one when the navy took it out for some training because we still had some work to finish up and it was supposed to be a two-week trip and then COVID hit in the middle of being out there ended up being a 34-day trip so I got about all the experience that I needed after that
0: so you actually got stuck on an aircraft carrier at sea because because of COVID
1: kind of like we were supposed to come in halfway through and then there they'd go back out with you know, some people might stay back on stay on for the second trip, but you'd get a day to go home and then come back and then go back out so you could go see your family and whatnot. But due to COVID they said if you get off, you're not getting back on. I so the person that was supposed to fill my spot, you know, they really didn't want any new people on and I was like, Well I don't really know what work is like go you know, back home right now. So I talked to my wife and she was like, yeah, you know, if you want to stay, cause I was getting a lot of overtime. So yeah. I was like, I'll just, I'll just stay out here right now. Dang, dude. That's
0: crazy. Um, so you were there as they were launching planes off of it?
1: Yeah, Jeez. it was cool. I got to see a lot of, a lot of, a lot of flying and get some videos and it was insane. It was it felt like I was in Top Gun.
0: Yeah, man. That's awesome. I, I wish I was in Top Gun. That, that, uh, I don't know. I, I almost want to sit and talk to you about your job board, dude that like just, you know, anybody can be, uh, I don't know, plumber. I don't want to make it sound off. Like, I mean, because plumbers are important people, but like, it's a very rare that a dude builds aircraft carriers or works for a company that builds aircraft carriers. Are you, is your company contracted by the federal government?
1: Yeah, we're a a contractor that gets the contracts form from the Navy, but I mean, we're the only company in the country that can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, we also do submarines, but we do that alongside uh, electric boat. That's a company up in Connecticut. So basically, like they'll build, they'll build like two thirds of one sub, and we'll build a third. And then they, you know, we ship them up there. And then the next one, we'll build two thirds, they build a third. So they're like partners, but we're the only ones that do the carriers.
0: Okay, so it takes eight years to build an aircraft carrier. How much does an aircraft carrier cost? I mean is there even a number that goes behind it
1: billions
0: billions billions
1: um yeah i don't I don't remember all the numbers, but I know right now like the most the newest one is a they call it first of class, so they basically redesigned it there's a whole lot of massive improvements from the old older style carriers. And, uh, that was some, being the first of class, there was some growing pains there with the new technology and whatnot. And, uh, so that one was, I don't know how many billions, it might've been like 10. I can't remember it. I have to look it up. Jesus. You probably could, you Google it. It'll tell you, cause yeah. I'm sure there's lots of articles about it.
0: Dang. So like, but, like other than it, you know, housing a lot of people, it being big it like being able to land airplanes on it and, and things like that. Does it have any crazy guns or rockets or missiles that are also on that deck to shoot down other planes or or subs or anything like that?
1: Yeah, they got they got uh I think they I mean I seen machine guns when I was out there um mounted in different places. I think there's some sort of like anti aircraft type stuff, but I'm not positive on that. Okay.
0: That's cool shit. Dude. But
1: yeah, there's, yeah they they keep all like the bombs and artillery type stuff for the planes in the ship. So yeah, they got these elevators that move up and down, big ass elevators that move that all around the, the ship because you want to. I guess they keep it down low in the ship because it's the safest place for it to be.
0: Yeah, well that's gnarly, dude. I uh, I'm a little bit jealous uh, of of that <laughs> because that is. Like, do you think you could ever sneak me on a job site sometime just to walk through and take a look at it?
1: Yeah, I don't think that would go over too well.
0: (laughs) I believe it. Who's this guy? You have no clearance.
1: Yeah, unless you stole somebody's badge and snuck in through the gate, I don't think that's going to ever work. But if you did, I had nothing to do with
0: it. Amen. All right, so uh, let's talk whitetails before we go down any further, this this, uh, this aircraft carrier rabbit hole. Um, you live in Virginia, but you're from Connecticut, right? Yes. All right, so uh, talk to me a little bit about growing up, right? You uh, Did you come from a family of deer hunters, dad, uncle, brother, that type of stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. My my dad's whole side of the family. Um, we're big hunters, I mean, ever since... I think he really got into it when he was about 18 um and they've all they still go up to maine every year for like a week at thanksgiving go on a big deer hunting trip and um they were all big hunters but i mean when it comes to whitetail i'm took you know i've gotten way deeper crazy into whitetails than they ever have
0: yeah so when you know they i always hear the term big hunter right and i i i used to think back in the day oh he's a big hunter well, he only hunts during shotgun season, or he only hunts during the rifle season, right? And that's it. But he, he's really passionate about it, whatever. But now mm-hmm. I hear the term, like, the term big, a big hunter. Oh, he's a big hunter. That term means something different today. Like, there's almost years I don't even feel like a big hunter compared to other people who are, like, this year I'm going to South Dakota, I'm going on uh, in September. I don't know where I'm going yet, but I'm going someplace in September. I'm going to South Dakota in October. Uh, I'm going to hunt the rut in Iowa. Then, then there's a chance that I hunt um, somewhere else if I tag out early, uh, maybe like Missouri or Illinois or something like that. So, with that said, you know I'm I'm hunting more than the quote unquote average person. So when you say, you know, your family was big hunters. I mean, did they run the gamut? Were they turkey? Were they predator? Were they whitetail? Or were they just specific times of the year?
1: So back then, like growing up, they were just deer hunters and just really gun hunters. But now, I mean, my dad, once he, you know, once, I mean, I was young, but once he got established in his career and everything, and was making good money. And I mean, he started going on big trips all over the world, and I mean, easiest way to say it now is if you could name it, he's probably killed it and has it m- mounted at his house now. I mean, he's been to Africa. He's got a polar bear. He's got a, uh, elephant, rhino. I mean, Jesus. you name it, he has it mounted at his house.
0: So he has a a. a you say everything, and then you listed what he's shot. He has a. Does he have like a trophy room, or does he just have a big house full of dead shit all over?
1: No, he put an addition onto his house that's, I mean, honestly, it's probably close to, not, not much smaller than my house lengthwise that I live <laughs> in. And he put an addition that, strictly for his animals.
0: Oh, man. So it's like a gallery.
1: Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, the easiest, I mean, it's well over 100 animals mounted in there. I lost track of how many he has and Dang. how many he has at
0: the taxidermist right now dang and how old your dad right now he's
1: 62
0: okay so he's right around no, 63 he's around the same age as my dad um so let me ask you this when did your dad kind of go off on the deep end and and transition from that hey we're just gonna gun hunt to you know what i want to kill one of you know like one or two of everything like moses or uh whoever yeah moses yeah moses
1: <laughs> like I think his first like real trip he went to like you know like out of state like major hunting trip he went to Canada for moose New Brunswick for moose and caribou and god that was I'm 35 I was probably like 10 maybe so probably 25 years ago is when he really started going hardcore and that was that was i mean that was the start of it and it was you know then it was elk but then he went to africa and once he went to africa he's like he's told me like once you go you're never just going to want to go once you know you're going to want to go you're going to get hooked and you're going to want to go back a million times
0: yeah so when he started um did that kind of correlate with when you started getting serious about bow hunting at all
1: Bow hunting, I really didn't get big into until after I graduated college because I played baseball all the way okay. up through college, so in the fall, I was still pretty busy with that, and then, um, you know, I always was big into deer hunting and loved all kinds of hunting, but when I, when I had baseball, that was kind of my focus when it was season, and then once it was too cold to play baseball, that's right around gun season, so... I kind of focused on picking up the gun. You know, I had limited time, so I wanted yeah. to take advantage of the time that I had. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, so then you ended up doing the, you know, the sports thing. A lot of people do that, or the college, you know, thing. And then uh, they just, if they if they don't take it too serious, they hunt a little bit, just like what you did. So, when did you go off the deep end, so to speak?
1: So, once I graduated, is really when. I got into the bow bow hunting and then I also picked up turkey cuz then in the in the, the spring I had lots of free time and then I picked up duck hunting from a buddy so it was like once baseball was gone that's when I started getting into all this other all the other hobbies as far as or different species of of uh hunting around here but I still went on trips with my dad um even when I was still playing baseball
0: Gotcha Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then, so, out of you know, college happens. Uh, you kind of get into the quote-unquote real world at some point. Um, like, when did you start expanding? You know, you said that you went on some trips with your dad, but, um, like, when did you start hopping around a lot? And then when did you move away from your home turf and have to start learning, you know, because – you're hunting you live in uh virginia right now right yep right and you go back to uh connecticut to hunt and maine to hunt every year and then you bounce around to some other places
1: yeah uh i've been around shoot well i guess well first question i I moved down here for college and i just stayed down here really um i mean i i liked it down here wanted to stay here regardless and then i started dating my wife we went to college together and she's from down here so I just ended up staying um and I like to go hunting I like to hunting back home more I just don't like it's expensive up in Connecticut and it's really liberal and I, I like it down here a lot better <laughs> yeah uh about that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh um... my dad says it's the best thing I ever did was move away out of Connecticut Don't ever come back.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I tell you what, it's crazy, and it's not necessarily even East Coast. Uh, It's just, like, big cities. Man, I I don't know what it is. I'm from a town that has, like, two stop signs, maybe one, two, three, you know, like, three or four stop signs. That's it. Uh, Very small community. Everybody kind of knows everybody. My backyard is a cornfield right now. Like, uh, everybody's really friendly, really nice. And it's just crazy. Me and my wife went on a vacation to – Man, where where did we go? I'm trying to think where we went. Uh, We flew into San Francisco, and then we went up to Northern California, and just instantly off the plane, people are rude, disrespectful, like everybody only thinking about themselves, and I just like, I can't stand it. Like I, it's almost like this inner rage starts to boil within me, and I (laughs) want I want to start fighting people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I got to go to san francisco my sister lives out there and getting married in october and i'm happy for her and looking forward to her wedding just not looking forward to going to california and san francisco well
0: i'll tell you what northern california is absolutely beautiful uh once you get outside of california out of san francisco like the coast is awesome we went into uh napa in uh, sonoma valley and did the whole wine thing like me and my wine my wife really like wine and uh, so that that part of it's awesome, but then we you know you get into the big city and it's just like just parts of it are dirty and the people are rude. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean.
1: Well, that that's good to hear because I, I think her her wedding is actually in Sonoma. So oh, I think perfect. Yeah, really you're gonna love it. You're that's gonna love what it. We'll be, so.
0: Yeah, you're gonna cool. love it. All right, so um, so what's east coast hunting like uh you know i've had some guys from maryland i've had some guys from uh like the not necessarily the coast but inland just a little bit you know like connecticut's right on the coast where you live right now is right on the coast what is uh that that far eastern uh coastal type hunting like
1: so i'd say i mean i think out on the east coast at least from the experience and the people that i know i think more more gun hunters out this way i think it seems like then and maybe it's just the people that i follow and that i know out in the midwest are just big bow hunters but um i mean people bow hunt out here but i think there's more people that are just kind of go out a couple times a year take their gun out and in virginia it's a lot of dog hunting yeah um you know, they've, a lot of big clubs, they run dogs and hunt with buckshot and stuff. Um, I've done it. I was in a club that did it and I was in there and there for a few years and mainly I would bow hunt beforehand before gun season opened up. But, uh, it just really wasn't my thing. And yeah. it's, it, it was like two hours away and I just didn't, I didn't go out there and you know, we had like 1,500 acres, but I just didn't go out enough because I still would go. I was going on you know, a trip a year. I'd go out, out of state to Connecticut to visit my family and go hunt up there. I'd be gone for a week, and then I'd come back, and my wife's like, well, you're going to go. <laughs> You've just been gone for a week. You're going to go for the weekend again all the way out to your club. And uh, so I was like, it just wasn't really worth it. But Yeah. yeah that, um,
0: that's something interesting. Uh, talk to me a little bit because I've talked to some guys – who have uh, do the the hunting deer with dogs down in? I think it was, I think parts of Florida you can do it, and Alabama. I think parts of Alabama you can do it. Um, and I, God, I'm trying to think of what other state, but those two kind of stick out. What like
1: North Carolina? Canada, you can? I think South Carolina. Okay, mainly oh, it's all so- southern states.
0: Yeah. So walk us through that process. What what it's like? Because um, for me, you tell me. Uh, yeah. We're doing dog drives. I just envision absolute chaos. Is it absolute chaos, or or is there some is there some structure to it?
1: Both. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, like you know, you can't do it with just really just a couple of guys. You're not going to be too successful. So like we had, we weren't a big club. We probably had like twenty, two, twenty three guys in our club, and you might have guests out there. So. Basically everybody meets at the clubhouse the night before and kind of you have one, uh, hunt master, they call him, And he kind of determines what part of the property you're going to hunt and they pick a block, of block of woods. So then everybody kind of picks spots where they're going to, they call them like standards, like where you're going to stand. So, um, it might be roads along roads around that block of timber. Um, you might go stand by the creek. And you basically just surround like that rectangle say of timber and you know you spread out safe distance so you're not going to be shooting each other but you basically surround that area and then the dog man who has a truck uh, about a boxing truck full of dogs might be beagles might be hound like walker hounds um you know once everybody gets set up gets on the radios they'll uh start walking into the timber and walk the dogs in and once they basically get a scent, you know, they, you, they'll start going off, going crazy, barking, howling like nuts. And they'll they'll strike a, a track or a scent and they just basically turn them loose and they just follow that scent until they get on the deer. And uh, you basically they're just pushing the deer around and, until they hopefully run past somebody where they can get a shot. Yeah. Um, it could be crazy. I mean, you hear it's a, you hear a lot of racket. You can kind of tell when the where you know you hear where the dogs are and can tell where they're going. But sometimes the deer, are, you know, three hundred yards ahead of them. Sometimes the dogs are right on top of them. So you never really know where they're going to come out, um, or you know when they're going to come out. But it could be a little madness, and then sometimes they get out past you and then the dogs run them into the next freaking county and the dog (laughs) man's got to go run them down
0: right so let me ask you this when it comes to like uh this this style of hunting is there any you know like with certain types of gun hunting or certain types of bow hunting you might be able to say hey i don't want to shoot this young buck or i'm going to pass this doe or whatever in a scenario like this is it just whatever comes in front of you people are shooting is there any any type of I guess you would call it management,
1: uh, some clubs, yes, at the club i was I was a part of. they just mowed down everything. Yeah. Um, like some some clubs, if you shoot you know a lot of clubs I've heard of, they call it like a bucket rule, like if the rack could fit in a five gallon bucket, you pay a fine. yeah, so if you're shooting like a little little spike, you know you were paying a fine for it. Um, at our club, like the dog man, like back then. Now they got the GPS collars, so it's easier to track the dogs and catch up with them. But before, they just had like a collar, and they'd get in their truck, and you would hear beeps, and they would just drive to the beep and try and track the dogs down. Yeah. So they didn't want the dogs getting out of the hunt. So basically, when we had doe days where there was only certain days you could shoot does, and that wasn't a club thing. That was just uh, the area we hunted in. So there were certain days you couldn't shoot does, but the dog man would – they would get pissed if you didn't shoot the does. Yeah, they'd be like, because they didn't want them. They didn't want them getting out of the hunt. But they're like, you know, they're not the one that's going to get in trouble if somebody's mowing down a doe and gets busted with it. Yeah, but it, it was. I mean, it wasn't my thing. I did it a couple handful of times, and it, I mean, it got your adrenaline going because it, you hear them coming, and you you know you know don't really know what's going to happen, and it would would get exciting, but yeah, not. Not my thing. It was cool to experience it, but I prefer bow hunting and still hunting. Yeah.
0: So that didn't last too long for you then, huh?
1: No.
0: No. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think I would necessarily, you know, just growing up how I grew up, or I shouldn't say growing up, I should say the path that I've walked down to where I'm at today, that style of hunting doesn't... I guess you would say do it for me, but with that said it intrigues me and I would love to try it sometime.
1: Yeah, and it, it's it's cool to, you know, that I got to experience it and I'm not against it. Yeah. because I know that to those guys that's you know, that's the they way they grew up and they've done that their whole lives and it's, you know, it's in their blood. Like I I got lots of friends that are into it and they raise their own dogs and you know, they go to um, what do they call them, like field trials where they basically have like a, they call it like a fox pen where they got a big piece of property that's fenced in and they got foxes and they kind of run the fox and they judge the dogs, like on the first, the first dog crossing a trail up behind the fox and stuff like that. Yeah. And these guys do are big into that and I'm not against it and wouldn't, I wouldn't fight to ever shut it down. I mean, but it's, just not my thing.
0: Yeah, I I feel you. There's uh the Houndsman XP podcast here on the network. They, uh, they're uh they into dogs, like coon hunting and, and uh, bear hunting with dogs, mountain lion hunting with dogs, all that stuff. And it just, I don't know, I've, I've, I find it, I definitely find it very interesting how those guys do it and how they train their dogs and the breeding and all that stuff, man. So, uh, yeah, kudos to those. But, like, I like to be quiet. I like to sneak. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I, I hear you.
1: There's, there's nothing quiet about that. That's right. for
0: sure. Right. All right. So... I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you went on an Illinois hunt last year, right? On like a DIY public land, Illinois hunt. Yep. Yep. So it's, uh, I want, I want us to go back one full year. Um, like, did you know in the summertime that you were going to be going to Illinois on this hunt or was it kind of a last minute thing?
1: So, so I'm, I'm buddies with the, the working class bow hunter guys, um, and I went, out, I went out there for their shoot. Um, you know, I'm part of their, like, team WCB that they got. And me and a couple of guys from the East Coast, we drove out there to go to the shoot. And uh, we were talking with Kurt. And, you know, he was telling me and one of the other guys, he's like, look, he's like, if you guys, you know, you want to ever come out here and hunt, you know, you can crash here. So we kind of talked about it on the way back. And then we, you know, we were saying, oh, well, maybe. And then I kind of wrote it off and just didn't really know if I was going to do it. And then my other buddy was like saying that he was serious. He was really going to go and he's from Pennsylvania. Um, so he's, you know, he's not close. He's probably like four or five or five or six hours for me. But, um, I was like, man, if he's going, I was like, shoot, I'm like, I, I gotta go. So I talked yeah. to my wife and she was like, all right. So I don't think at this point, I don't know. I don't think at this point I knew for sure I was going. I think it was more in probably end of August was when I really said, okay, well, I'm definitely going to go.
0: Yeah. So did people from Illinois kind of point you in the right direction or did you have to hop on like uh, uh, some kind of digital mapping platform and, and and start to do a whole bunch of scouting as far as where some of this public was at, what it looked like, like any digital scouting type stuff?
1: So, they, they told us, they gave us like one big chunk of public that was in the area of where Kurt lives. And I mean, but that was it. So, then we, you know, we, we, uh, me and my buddy started getting online and getting on the maps online and doing our digital scouting and, yeah. you know, trying to come up with a game plan. And then, once we got out there, you know, we had some stuff, some pins marked, but, you know, that, you know how it goes, especially like in some of the timber where you might see something. <clears throat> sorry, uh, see something on a map, but it, you don't really, until you get eyes on it and get your boots on the ground, you're not, you know, yeah. not 100% sure what it really looks like in there. So we did some, we got out there, did some driving around, checking some of the, the parking, parking lots, seeing where, where people were parking and, you know, what might, what might be getting some pressure and kind of went from there. and Just yeah. kind yeah. of stayed mobile um, so t-
0: just before we get around, into that, like, before we get into that, I want to talk, I want to ask you about like when you were doing your digital scouting, cause I, like right now I'm doing, you know, I already told you I, I, last night I was up, I basically spent what, uh, hour and a half on uh you know did doing digital scouting looking at i mean i was zooming in all the way to the specific drainages i was zooming way out to like look at big flows of land all that kind of stuff when you were doing your digital scouting on this piece of public um what specifically were you looking for
1: so i was kind of looking for any kind of like terrain features that might be like a pinch point that wasn't you know, it was kind of far from like not being easy access for everybody and their brother to get into um, some, I was trying to find some betting areas cause we went end of last week in October. So not, not in the rut. Like our game plan was kind of right there, like at the pre rut end of October where hopefully everybody and their brother is planning to come out for November. So we could, kind of get in there before the big rush of out of state people are going to flow in there. And, uh, so I just want to be in some areas where you might get some, some bucks cruising, checking some, some bedding areas and looking for those early does. Um, and any kind of, kind of like pinch points that might have some good travel in there. Um, some Creek bottoms, stuff like that. Yeah.
0: So, uh, once you got okay so you, you that's what you looked at right and then you put your pins down on the map or whatever and you say okay I, this is a place that I want to check out then when you finally got out there like did you make it a point to go scout instantly or hunt those places instantly to get a, you know to to get an idea of what you were looking for or if if what you thought through digital scouting matched what was actually there
1: So we did like the first afternoon after kind of driving around and checking some of the spots, at least from the road, some of the general areas that we had marked. um, We both kind of went into our spots that we, some of the spots that we had marked and we hunted that place. I think it was the first three days, the first, that, that piece of public. Um, And it was, I guess I, I was told that it's, typically brings you know, you get some big deer coming out of there but it wasn't wasn't really what we were looking for. It didn't like coming from the east coast it didn't scream Midwest. Yeah. It was different than what you know, like the stuff that I see on T V where I think like Iowa and Illinois, Midwest areas. Um there's a lot of a lot of pines. Um it was just it was a lot different than what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, we saw some, we saw some deer there, um, but nothing, nothing great. But then Kurt had another, uh, another piece of public that he was. It was further from his house, but he said that you know he's heard some guys had some good luck there, and people talk about it. So we went there, and that was, that was a lot better and more of what we were looking for.
0: Gotcha. Did you did you scout that digitally at all, or was that more of a just uh, going blind to that piece?
1: that one was going blind. Yeah. Like we talked with him the night before, you know, once he got home from work, we were just sitting around having some beers talking and he was like, well, he's like, there's this other piece. He's like, it's, you know, it was like a over an hour drive from his house. Um, but he's like, you know, he said, I think that's more of what you guys are going to be looking for. Um, and, you know, he said there's big bucks that come out of there every year too. So we went and he said, I think he said that that typically gets more pressure and we definitely saw more guys over there than we did the other place yeah um but not 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 to the point they were ruining our hunts um just more cars in the parking lot
0: yeah okay so then once you got over to that private uh that piece that i guess and you mentioned it looked more like midwest style hunting um what was it as far as terrain vegetation that really stuck out to you that said hey this is where we want to be
1: so there was, I mean, they did have some ag fields there. Um, You know, they had some, some beans and um there were some good bedding areas off the fields. I mean, I, some of the areas close to the fields I walked through, I mean, the beat down trails that I've seen when I was scouting through there quick where that was like the type of stuff I expected to see out in the Midwest based on what I watch on TV, just the trails that are beat to snot that a blind man could find. Yeah. Um and the the steep creek bottoms, um, there was some of that there and it was just, it looked a lot better just hunting it. I mean, it was better hunting. The terrain just looked better. The sign was better. It was just, it was a good, good spot.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, so then once you got in there, what did
1: you key in on? So I found the first, first spot I hunted, I kind of, you know, I had my stand on my back and we were just kind of hiking around, looking for a sign and just trying to find a good area and with some good sign and just set up and hunt for that afternoon. And I found uh, a couple scrapes and it was a big, big, steep creek bottom. And there was a crossing where they go, it, you know, down the bank, cross the creek and go up to uh, up the other side. So I set up on a point in the creek or right by the creek um close to where that crossing was and a good one or two good scrapes right there and uh i set up there and i saw saw a couple deer there i had one really nice buck and well it wasn't that afternoon so i think we went in there for the after an afternoon hunt the first time just so we weren't going in, in the dark blind for the first time yeah And how we were typically typically we we're doing it we were hanging and hunting in the afternoon and then when we, we would leave our stand there for the night and then if we were going to, um, we'd give it a morning sit. So then we'd leave our stand, come back in the morning, hunt that. And then if we didn't, you know, we didn't have any luck or really didn't like the spot. Then we would tear down and hunt somewhere else in the afternoon.
0: Yeah. i tell you what, but, that, uh, that's my, that's my go-to strategy. Like, you know, I will, I will. If I absolutely need to, right? And most of the time it's, if I go in on a evening hunt and I see a buck work a draw and I think, okay, maybe he's on a pattern where he'll come back through that area the next morning, or maybe he's downwind of a bedding area. And I think to myself, maybe he'll be down there the next morning. Then I'll tear down and move over and hang in the dark, right? But I hate hanging in the dark. Right. It just, you, you can't get a good idea of shooting lanes. You can't get a good idea of if you're even in the right spot. But with that said, uh, I'm not opposed to doing it. But your strategy is what I do all the time. You know, hang an evening hunt, leave my shit in the tree, come down, come back to the, uh, you know, come back to the, uh, that same tree, watch for the morning movement. And if, it's, you know, if I don't see what I want to see, I take everything down. If I, if I get a little glimmer of hopes or I believe it's good, I just leave my tree stand up. And then I have another tree stand in the mix that I don't have to set up again. But as far as the yeah. run and gun process of it, that's how I, that's how I like to do it too.
1: Yeah. Hang, hanging in the dark. I mean, like you said, I've, I've done it. I'm not opposed to doing it, but I don't prefer it. It's just, like you said, it seems like, You're always like two trees away from where you really want to be or, you know, you just can't, your, your lanes aren't as good as what you thought they were when you're setting up in the dark. And no matter what, whenever I start to get light, you always wish you were somewhere else. I feel like,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you started going through the process of that, I mean, were you seeing what you wanted to see? I mean, how, I mean, did you, did anybody in your group, were they successful?
1: So the, we didn't, we didn't get a deer, um, but what was it? The second morning or the first morning. So we, I set up on that Creek bottom the afternoon, didn't see anything that afternoon, but then hunted it the next morning and across from the Creek bottom, there was a, a, a hill. So I'm sitting there and it's just starting to crack light and I see this buck coming down the hill. And to me, I mean, I, I grew up on the East coast. Uh, I, I've shot some nice deer for out here but not like what you guys have out there. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was if I got like a one 130, one thirty, one one thirty, one forty, I would have been doing backflips. And I had this buck coming down this hill, he was probably one I'd say he's probably one forty, maybe a little bigger, and uh he drops into this creek bottom, the steep creek bottom, walking it was all dried up so he's crossing right there and it was uh there's a big down tree across across the bottom and he walked behind that or underneath that tree and I get him at 25 yards and I draw back and I mean it was a chip shot and I'm looking and it's light enough for me to see him fine but through my peep I can't I can't see him it was too dark to see him in my peep yeah so I, I couldn't even shoot I was like heartbroken yeah I mean it was perfect broadside 25 yards he stopped there for a second. I could see him fine with my eyes, but just through the peep, it was too dark. I couldn't see him. Dude, I was, and,
0: I was chasing a hundred and, oh, man, there was, I'm trying to think what year. It was like 2011, I think it was. I'm sitting in this tree, had a lot of good action in front of me, um, and I look behind me, and here comes this like one high 160s, low 170s, just this beautiful 10-pointer right? Just like bleach white antlers. It looks like he'd, you know, been in CRP his whole life and he's coming down and it's getting darker. I'm just like, Hey man, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And from, and just like what you said from me to the deer, I could see his vitals just fine. But when I drew back and I don't know what they call that, like peep blindness or something, but I, I, I had all my anchor points set up. I was looking through my peep site and I just couldn't get my, it was almost like my, at that, at that level of darkness, my sight, my pin, in the in the peephole was so took up so much room that the contrast was so different that I couldn't see the deer or the vitals of where I should put it. I could almost I could see his back and I could see his stomach, but I didn't know where in that point I should put it. So I just let down and, and ended up having to let him walk, and it that sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that, that's exactly. I, I could see body, but I couldn't. And, and this was legal shooting time too, yeah. but it was like the first first few minutes of legal light, and uh, I could see body. And I mean, I'm sure there's lots of guys that would have just let it let it fly and hope for the best. But I was like, I can't do that. I yeah. mean, I could see body, but I couldn't tell where the pin was, and I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's. Not, I mean, it tells you you're in the right place, though, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it hurt, but I, I don't want to wound a deer and yeah. you know ruin a trip. You know, go home. I'd rather go home with a tag in my pocket than go home with a shoulda, woulda, coulda yeah. story and be kicking myself in the ass.
0: Yeah, definitely knowing that you just got shot a deer and you're never going to find him.
1: Yeah, that's you know, I, everybody thinks hunters just like to kill stuff, but I mean, there, that's that's the worst feeling is when you wound a deer and you can't find it and you know that. Either it's going to die out there, you know, and it's going to take a while, but it'll eventually die. Or it's running yeah. around with a hole in it and might be okay, but that shit still sucks.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely like to kill stuff, but I like to kill stuff on my own terms. <laughs> you know, like I like to exactly. kill, I like to shoot them and then watch them die in front of me, not over like like in 2018. I don't know if you followed that that buck at all, but when I I hit him way back, and I, I hit him in the ham, but it was hard quartering away. I had a heavy arrow went through all of his guts, a little bit of his liver out, uh, through his diaphragm, and just like it wrecked him. But I didn't. I, I may have nicked bottom lung uh, on the opposite side, but he was hard quartering away. Probably never should have. Yeah. You know, I, I was taking off my rain jacket or putting it on. I can't remember, but I was. I think I was taking it off, and he shows up. And so I, I had to let him walk through one of my shooting lanes. And then by the time, you know, it was, you know, I got my rain jacket off. He was at 12 yards, completely broadside chip shot. Right. And then he walks to like 22 yards, hard quartering away. And I had to kneel down in my stand, you know, squat to try to get the, and I let it go probably, you know, rushed shot, just bad. Took me two days to find him and, Uh, It was, that was a close call. Like I would have, and that's my, if you want to say it, that's my biggest buck to date as far as antlers are concerned. And uh, if I never would have found that buck, man, I would have been, I would have, I would have probably punched my tag and been devastated.
1: Yeah. That, and this one, and this buck would have been my biggest, my biggest buck to date. I ended up getting, we had, uh, we brought some uh, cell cameras out there with us and uh, set them up. I think we each had one that we put out. And I ended up getting a picture of him. Uh, I think it was the next morning, about four a.m., coming through that area. Yeah. So I mean, he was he was big, big mainframe eight, yeah. and he was nice. Yeah. But
0: so how how the rest of that uh, that trip turn out for you guys?
1: Um, my buddy passed passed some smaller bucks. Um, I passed a spike, and well. I guess I didn't really pass. It was a spike or like a little four corn and a, a smaller eight pointer. Um, it was starting to get dark one night and they were coming out of uh, the timber. I was hunting a field edge and um, I had freaking all those little burrs that you, I don't even know what plants they are lice. out there. But it was walk.
0: Bagger's lice. What's that? I think I think they're called bagger's lice. It's like a thin okay. little strip and then all these hundreds of little burrs on it. And when you, oh my God! When you go the, try to pull them off, the stems come off, but the, all the burrs stay.
1: Yes. Yeah. Those things, holy shit! My pants were covered, covered yes. out there. I had, I had like the those, what are they? The um, fanatic the pants. Thick, uh, no, the the other ones that are like the.
0: They're stratus? stratus. Yeah, it could have been that. Yeah. dude. I I don't wear that anymore. I can't. I just wear. I basically oh wear dickies. Covered. Yeah.
1: So I my pants were just uh, covered, and I had I hear these two deer coming, and I look, and they're, I mean, they're coming like ten yards to my left, and I saw that the first one was a little one, but I just was standing because it was last you know last light, and I was just getting ready because I didn't know what was going to be coming behind it, but it ended up being a little basket rack and a spike, and I had the cam of my bow resting on my leg. And it moved, and it made a noise, scratching all those burrs on my pants, and spooked them. Oh, dang! <laughs> but I, I, I wasn't going to shoot them either way, but yeah, I didn't want to spook them. I didn't want to spook them out of there either. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no
0: I one walked away with a deer on that trip. Yeah.
1: No. No. So I saw. I ended up seeing that buck again. Um, I was moving one afternoon, and he was bedded probably. 30 yards off the field, um, this main field that you kind of had a – it was close to a parking lot that I would cut through in the morning um, to get to where I had been hunting him. And I was moving in the, the last afternoon, and I jumped him out of his bed. Freaking – he was nice. Got, getting to see him kind of in the daylight like that. Yeah. So,
0: you know, after – oh, man, especially on a trip like that, you know, you got a long drive back. I, I, I messed up a lot when I was in South Dakota this past year on multiple occasions. And you got this, this 10 hour drive home for me. And I'm just thinking the whole way back. Like, what would I, what could I have done different? What should I have done different? You know, did, was I too lazy? Was that, did I do this wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, did you think about things like that and then what would you do if you could like rewind, rewind, start that trip over again? Or if you do go back this year, what would you do different to, to fix or, or to try to be more successful?
1: So what I would do different is I kind of got for a couple of days, I kind of got married to that one spot that I was, yeah. I saw that nice bunk in, um, and, I mean, I, I saw him there, and I had the picture of him the next day. Um, I just think he was – I think he was just moving through earlier. I caught him, like, right at the beginning of light that first day, and then the next next morning, you know, he, he didn't know I was there, so I just—I don't think I spooked him, but I, he was just earlier the next day. And then I guess he was – you know, he was betting up towards the field, so I think he was just beating – he was just beating me before it got light and up to his bed um but i think i would you know after two days i probably would have tried to move on to a different spot and find something different um if i go back i would start at that public in versus the first place that we started
0: yeah it's amazing what one year right and when i say year i mean uh however much time you spend on a piece of property. Like can do to put put a guy who is, you know, like uh, someone who's not observant can go into a piece of property and say, "Oh, this sucks." I had a close call. Tough shit leaves right, but then you put one year under your belt. You have a year to think about how you're going to change. You know, you're observant. You see the deer movement and all. You know how how uh, the deer are flowing through that terrain, what the food sources are like, um, where the bedding is, as opposed to you know the you know the the A to B. Uh, travel patterns that a deer goes through in a day and you if if a guy is observant and willing to be just a little bit more mobile than what he is man it's it's surprising what uh what can be accomplished
1: oh for sure i mean i think being mobile and that's last year i did that more than i have ever in the past i mean obviously going out of state and hunting public, you know, that kind of forced me to be mobile, but I mean, we could have still could have just set up and hunted like three days at a clip at one spot. But Mm -hmm. each day for the most part, we were picking up and moving. Um, but even when I got back home and, you know, I, I came home to Virginia for a week after that worked. And then I went to Connecticut to hunt a week during the rut. And I mean, I still, for the most part did the same thing. Um, and even before, even before uh, we went to Illinois because Connecticut opens up September 15th for Bo. So I was doing the same thing there and just bouncing around a lot last year.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, first hunt. Where's, where's your first hunt going to be this year?
1: So my first hunt this year will be back in Connecticut on our, what is now our family farm. Um, and it'll probably be opening week of bow in September, September. And what is that like a a September
0: 1st, or is that like a 15th type deal?
1: Uh,
0: 15th. 15th. Okay. Yeah. Um, And you, uh, you mentioned kind of at the beginning of this, uh, you're trying to get uh, food plots ready to be put in and and finished up.
1: Yeah. So I've, I've never, never done food plots before. Um, We've hunted this farm for, shoot i shot my first deer on this farm back when i was 12 um and now you know long story short my dad's bought it from a woman that owned it previously so now it's ours so previous all the fields were leased out to a farmer that would just plant corn silage corn for for uh, cows up there yeah so once all that corn got cut in october or whenever there's really no food but now um my dad's still leasing two of the big fields to the farmer just because he wants the tax break and they're you know one's like a 10 acre field and that's more than we need to mess with and then uh we got three smaller fields that are about an acre so i'm going next weekend i'm gonna go up there and get some food plots in
0: absolutely that's awesome man well uh good luck this upcoming season man if you make it back to illinois there good luck there good luck on the east coast and uh hopefully it all works out for you keep us posted all right man
1: Yeah, I
0: appreciate it. Thanks. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Sean for taking time out of his day. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen. If you're not subscribed already, please subscribe uh, to the Nine Finger Chronicles, to the Hunting Gear podcast, and uh, to all of the other uh, podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation. Other than that, I hope everybody has a good weekend, good rest of your month there's never there's like one day left in I think uh July I can't believe how fast this uh this season's coming up I'll be in like six weeks I think I'm going to be on my first hunt out west so I don't know what that is yet but uh I know I'll be hunting somewhere so uh be safe keep practicing good vibes in good vibes out and we'll talk to you next time